I want you to imagine it's the 4th of February 2017. The biggest grudge match in the history of Australian boxing is about to take place. Danny Green, the green machine, versus Anthony, the man mundane. You arrive at the Adelaide Oval and you are quickly ushered into the change rooms because you are part of Danny Green's support team. Today is a big day. As you enter the change room, you see Danny preparing to fight. The gloves are on and the intensity starts to build. As part of his support crew, you're nervous for him. After all, it's him and not you that has to walk out and fight today. You merely sit on the sidelines and watch. You take the towel with you, just in case you need to stop the fight, literally throw in the towel. But as you walk towards that ring and you take your seat in the corner behind him, your role is to watch. This is not your fight. There is somebody else who is going to fight for your team. As you sit down to watch, you hope Danny can pull it off. But you can't be confident until the referee has lifted his hand in victory. You see, you're left in this state of hopeful expectation. Unable to be confident of what will happen. But living in hope that the right outcome might happen. Have you ever experienced this feeling? You submit your tax stuff to your accountant, hoping that he can give you a big tax return. Or you're playing touch football. Your team's a try behind with five minutes to go. So you sub off and let the bloke who's two grades above you sub on, hoping that he might be able to deliver victory for your team. You see, hope is a good thing. But this type of hope is in no way secure. Hoping in a possible victory does not make it happen. And I want us to keep that in mind as we walk through Psalm 20 together. Today we're going to look at hope and ask ourselves this question. What's the difference between hope and confidence? What's the difference between hope and confidence? And as we look at Psalm 20 today, we're going to look at this in two parts. You'll find them in your outline. Firstly, we'll look at the hope of God's people for their king in verses 1 to 5. And then second, we'll look at the confidence of God's people because of the king from verses 6 to 9. By way of context, Psalm 20 is often grouped with another, uh, a number of other psalms called the royal psalms, specifically talking about God's king. We see that when we look at verse 9. And we can see also from the subheading that this is a psalm of David. We can trust the subheading because in the original it's actually verse 1. It hasn't been added by the NIV editors later on. Now, whilst we know that this psalm is about King, uh, King David, placing it somewhere in the history of Israel proves quite difficult 
Because there's no internal markers pointing to a specific time and place in Israel's history. But as we look at this text, one thing jumps out. There's lots of battle language. You see victory and banner in verse 5, victorious power in verse 6, chariots and horses in verse 7. We can see that this psalm is written with the context of a battle in the background. And verse 1 to 5 in particular resonate really well. The insecurity before a battle. Perhaps reflecting on a time where there was great insecurity. Potentially a time like 1 Samuel 17. David and Goliath. As we look at the first five verses, it would be helpful to recall how the Israelites would have been feeling watching David walk towards Goliath. I'll grant you at that stage, David wasn't the king yet, but he was the anointed one, walking out to battle on behalf of God's people. Just imagine the fear. Imagine the suspense. The hopeful expectation that God would give victory to David. And I want you to channel this feeling, channel this image as we look at verse 1 to 5. So please come with me to verse 1. For the director of music, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. You see, the first thing when you read this, you might notice, is that each verse starts with a request. May the Lord, may he send, may he remember, may he give. May we shout. You see, all these requests are the people of God crying out to God to help their king. God's anointed. And it's done in the midst of uncertainty. God, we hope our king is victorious. Please send him help. Imagine staring at Goliath, watching David walk towards him. And the cry goes out from verse 1. David, may the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help. Can you see? On a wing and a prayer, in the midst of uncertainty, the prayer cries out. God, our hope for victory rests on David's shoulders. Please send him help. It's interesting there that the name of God, or the Lord, is invoked as a kind of badge of protection. You might remember this happening in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. And David comes out at Goliath, and what does he come with? He comes with the name of the Lord. It's the kind of secret weapon which slays the giant, turning an unimpressive shepherd boy into an instant hero at least in the eyes of men. See, the people of God, as they hope for David's success, 
might be thinking back to when it previously worked. They know the name of God is powerful. We hope that the name of God will protect David. That might be what the Israelites are feeling. And in verse 2, we see that the hope of God's people resting on David, and they pray for protection from the sanctuary and also from Zion. Well, the sanctuary is the dwelling place of God. And for the people of God in the psalm, this would have been the Ark of the Covenant, the earthly dwelling place of God. And Zion was the holy mountain where Jerusalem was established, the city of David. So the prayer of, uh, the prayer of verse 2 is a request of God to send help from his holy places. Rising above mere human strength and asking for divine assistance. God, help our king. God, our hope is in the king. He is our chance for victory. Please send him help. Verse 3, may he remember all your sacrifices and accept all your burnt offerings. See, the army of God is petitioning God to protect David as he walks into battle. Don't hold sin against him and let him be defeated. Please don't let unresolved sin be his downfall. God, protect your king, David. Remember his sacrifices. Accept his burnt offerings. See, time and time again in the Old Testament... We see stories of men who fail because of sin. We even see kings fail because of sin. But the prayer of the people here is asking God not to hold the sins of David against him. Remember his repentance. Remember that he is a man after your own heart, God. Give him victory because our hope is in him. Verse 4, may he give you the desires of your hearts and make all your plans succeed. Well, what do we know about David's heart? What comes to mind when we talk about David's heart? Well, we know from places like Acts 13 and 1 Samuel 13 that David is a man after God's own heart. You see, David's heart is for the Lord. We saw that in 1 Samuel 17, where he strode confidently onto the battlefield with the name of the Lord as his weapon, and he defended the honour of God and his armies. You see, when we read in verse 4, where it says, May God give you the desires of your heart, they are asking for the desires of David's heart to be realised, not theirs. This is a prayer of the people for David. For the Lord's anointed. David's heart is so focused on protecting the honour of God that he's willing to bring a sling to a giant fight. And it's very easy to read this psalm and think this psalm is about us. You see, may God give me the desires of my heart. But this psalm is a psalm of David. Not this David. It's a psalm of King David. It's about God's king, the anointed one. May God give him 
the desires of his heart. Verse 5. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. See, another reason this resonates so well with the David and Goliath story is that it's about the victory of the Lord's anointed. It's not the victory of the armies of God, is it? The people of Israel are completely passive in the first five verses of this psalm. So it's all about the Lord's anointed and his victory. May the Lord grant all of his requests. God, our hope is in the King. Give him the victory. He is our only hope. But as we hit verse 6, the tone of the psalm changes from one of hope to one of confidence. In the first five verses, there are 11 requests. But in verse 6, this verse only contains statements. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. You see, there's a massive difference between the insecurities of verse 1 to 5 with the confidence seen in verse 6 and from here on. There is a confidence in God's king. Verse 7, it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Chariots and horses. What's he talking about? Well, chariots and horses were the backbone of military victory in the ancient world. If you wanted to win, you'd send in the horses and chariots. They were like ancient tanks. Bit of a checkmate move. They were able to outperform, outlast and outplay. If you had your pick of military equipment, it'd be the horses and chariots that you'd be picking. But not God's people. Their trust is in the name of the Lord our God. The God who anointed their king. See, they don't need fancy horses and chariots. Because they are confident because God's anointed is fighting for them. And what happens? Their enemies are brought to their knees. But not God's people. They rise up and stand firm. They can stand firm even through the scariest of battles because the king is fighting for them. The Lord's anointed is fighting for them on their behalf. Verse 9, Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. This psalm, as the prayer of God's people, helps them to have confidence in their king, David. But what about us? What does this royal psalm written about David say to us in 21st century Dubbo? Put simply, Do we have certain confidence in our king? I mean, we don't trust in David, do we? He's long since in the ground. 
How can we trust in someone who is dead to win a victory for us? The simple answer is we can't. David is the Lord's anointed, but he's not the only one. God spoke to David and said, you are the king, but after you will come another king. This king will be from your family and will be greater than all those before him, including you, David. This is what God says to David in 2 Samuel 7. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, one from David's line will become the one who sits on the throne forever. And we know his name is Jesus. In Matthew 1, we see Jesus directly connected to David through a genealogy. And at the end of that genealogy, he's called the uh, the Messiah, which means Christ, which means anointed. And Jesus himself is anointed by God at his baptism and is, is set apart as the king. He's set apart as the Christ. We read in Mark 1, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heavens being torn apart and the Spirit descend on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. See, at Jesus' baptism... We see God anointing him. Jesus is the one from David's line who will sit on the throne forever. Jesus is God's king. And he is the one that we are to put our hope in. Because God has already given him victory. But do we have hope in Jesus? Or can we have something a little stronger? Can we have confidence in his victory already won? You see, as we read in the psalm, we witness God's people looking forward to a hopeful victory of David. But as we read this psalm, we look back on a victory that has already been won by Jesus. A victory over sin and death. See, Jesus died, was buried rose again and ascended to sit at the right hand of God. We see a great picture in this in Philippians 2, where it says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, if Jesus is your king, you can have confidence that he's already won the battle over sin and death. We do not sit here in hopeful anticipation of a future victory. But we sit here in full confidence that the victory has already been won. 
If Jesus is your king, he has already won. Your king is already victorious. But if your king is not Jesus, you are trusting in horses and chariots. I mean, we all trust in something for our security, right? Our career, a paid-off mortgage, a pat on the back from those around us. But you see, all these things are just horses and chariots, and they won't result in victory. In fact, quite the opposite. They might look really attractive right now, but if you trust in them, you'll be brought to your knees. In Philippians 2, we saw that every knee would bow to King Jesus. Every knee. Just like in verse 8 of Psalm 20, the enemies of God are brought to their knees. If you have to pick a horse, back a winner. Jesus, the king. He's already won the race. Remember back at the beginning, I asked you to picture yourself as one of Danny Green's helpers. Someone on Danny Green's team, hoping for victory. But you see, that's only helpful to understand how the Israelites would have seen David. The way we see Jesus is completely different. We are not watching the battle live from the corner, anticipating a hopeful victory. We're watching the fight on replay two days later, knowing full well the result, and have full confidence that the victory has already taken place. Can you feel the difference? In the corner of the ring, all you have is hope. But on replay, already knowing the result, you have full confidence that can never be taken away. God gives victory to his anointed. God has already given victory to Jesus. So have confidence in Jesus. Don't merely hope that he might save you, but have full confidence in Jesus. And as you live your life, Live in light of the victory that has already been won. As you go to work tomorrow morning and your workmates give you grief about being at church today and you prepare yourself for yet another potentially hostile conversation, remember, that's not your fight. The victory has already been won by King Jesus. Live your life in light of the victory that has already taken place. And as you wander through life, excited and tempted by all the shiny horses and chariots to put your trust in for your security, that promotion at work, that second investment property, the approval of those around you, when you are tempted to put your trust in anything other than King Jesus, you are making the wrong choice. It's a two-horse race. You don't want to back a loser. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Stand firm behind the King Jesus. Because our confidence comes 
from Jesus, the King, whose victory has already been won. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for your Son, the King, our King, Jesus. Lord, help us to put our trust in him. Help us to have full confidence in the victory that he has already won. As we are tempted to pine after other things in this life, help us to put our trust in him alone and stand behind Jesus the King. Amen.